a year now. I'm joined back in April. And, uh, we moved here from Springfield, and which my parents are here from Springfield. Terry and Sean moves. We moved here from Springfield about a year ago in June. And uh, we, uh, Shannon started teaching at Neosho High School and coaching volleyball there. I'm a recruiter at Integrity Home Care. And uh, we just enjoyed being a part of Wellsprings since we've, we've started coming and getting to know many of you. So it's great to, just great to be here. Scott asked me a couple months ago if I could fill in for him. Um, I was out, out of town this week. Um, so it's just always a privilege to, to preach the word. So if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We'll be there this morning. And uh, I think it'll be up on the screen as well. Mark chapter 10, and we have um, been going through a series of Acts this summer, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Scott and Jordan a couple weeks ago brought a great message, and uh, I was thinking about the book of Acts with with this sermon, and uh, um, I was thinking about the disciples and how they were called out by Jesus in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, he says, and you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the utmost parts of the earth. I think about these disciples and how, through the Gospels, they were right beside Jesus the whole time. Right beside him, and yet they did not understand what he was trying to say, what he was trying to get across. And, I'm sorry about this cord. Um... They did not understand what he was trying to say the whole time. And yet they were right beside him. And yet he still, even though they scattered at the cross, they were nowhere to be found, he still calls them in Acts chapter 1 to follow him, to carry this this message to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that is encouraging to me. Because like, like the disciples, we were not next to Jesus. We were not right next to Jesus throughout his ministry. And we can criticize the disciples all we want. We can say, Peter, how could you say such a thing? How could you not realize what you're, what you're saying, who you're talking to? And the same goes for the other disciples. How do you not see what Jesus is trying to do? We can criticize them all we want. And yet Jesus still calls them after their failures, after they betrayed him, after they denied him. They're still called to follow him. I can just imagine them sitting around with each other, discussing these accounts that we read from the Gospels, saying, how come we didn't get it? Why didn't we see when we were right beside Jesus? Why didn't we see this? And this is a story I think that they would think about every once in a while. When going up to Jerusalem for Passover, Mark chapter 10, Going up to Jerusalem, and, and Jesus is, has said in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and again in chapter 10, he's predicting what is going to happen to him. He's telling him exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem, and yet they don't understand, they don't get it. Mark chapter 8, and chapter 9, and chapter 10, there's this prediction of Jesus, there's this misunderstanding of the disciples. And then there's this corrective teaching. That happens three times in a row. And you think these disciples would get it. You think we would get it after a while. But in Mark chapter 10, we'll begin in, in verse 33. I know the struggle. So Thank, I'm you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. 
Mark chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 33 in just a moment. But they're going to Jerusalem. They're heading up there for Passover celebration. What is this? They're, they're going up to celebrate with, with fellow Jews what God has done for them in the past. How he has led them out of Egypt. How he's delivered them from slavery. And who are these Jews in, in this story right now? Who are these people? These aren't the elite. These aren't the upper class. They are, they are looked down upon and even called servants and slaves in their own country. So they're not going with this. They're, actually, they're going this year expecting God to act again. And it's a little bit different this year. Because rumors in the crowd that day was that there was a wonder worker among them. A Messiah that they believed would change their story would change their outcome in Jerusalem. They believed that this one, this guy, was like Moses, was like Joshua, was like David, who would lead them into battle. When they got to Jerusalem, things would change for them. Rome would, ne- would not be on top once again. They would be overthrown. Because this man, Jesus, was leading the way. And there's these stories being said about him. He's feeding thousands with just fish and bread. The blind are able to see. The lame are able to walk. And even their stories where dead people come back to life. And they're thinking, this is our chance. This is our chance to storm Jerusalem and take over for once and be on top. That's what they're thinking going to Jerusalem. And Jesus sees this. He sees what's going on. This is like a parade heading to Jerusalem with excitement and awe and wonder what he's doing. He sees what's happening. And he gathers his disciples as he sees that they're not understanding once again. He calls them together. He says, guys, listen to me. That's what is happening in verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, speaking out of himself, will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. He's saying, guys, listen. When we get to Jerusalem, it's not going to happen as you hope. When we get to Jerusalem, the wheels are going to come off and it's going to get ugly. That's what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Once again, he's telling them, he's predicting exactly what's going to happen. And what does his disciples do? How do I know that they don't understand what he's saying? Well, the next, the very next verse. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. How arrogant is that? We want you to do whatever we ask of you. Here's, here's, our, here's what we want. And we ask that you do whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Remember this question. What do you want me to do for you? In their arrogance, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And what is he talking about? He's talking about a cup. He's talking about a baptism. Well, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution of what is about to happen to him. And this cup, it's the cup that he asked his father, 
let this cup pass from me three times. Would he drink this cup? Oh, yes, he would. And Charles Spurgeon put it this way. It was as if all hell was put in that cup. He seized that cup with one tremendous draught of bluff and drank damnation dry. Would you be able to drink this cup? He asked. Can you drink this cup? He said to him, we are a... Verse 39. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit at my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but is for those whom it has been prepared. What is he talking about? He's telling them, you will suffer. You will be persecuted one day. And we, we read about that in the book of Acts now. We read about James, how he is, has been uh, put to death by sword. And eventually John will be exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Yes, you will drink this cup, but that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking this cup that, that they're going to drink, that they're thinking we're able to drink. A cup of glory, a cup of honor, a privilege. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking reigning. He's thinking, Jesus is thinking humiliation. They're thinking of a, of a crown. He's thinking of a cross. They are completely different pages here. They don't understand what he's trying to say, what he's trying to, to teach them. And of course, here... Steps the other ten. Verse 41, hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Why would they feel so upset? I believe because they didn't get there first. They didn't get there first to ask Jesus if they could sit at his right or left. He said, it's, it's like if you have children and they're calling shotgun in the car. And you have a bunch of other kids that want to sit in the front and you times that by a thousand and you have this, this situation here. The disciples just didn't get there first. They're wanting to sit at his right or his left in his glory. And the disciples, hearing this, they began to feel indignant. And once again, Jesus is saying, Guys, all right, come together once again. I want to tell you what I'm really saying. Calling them, verse 42, to himself. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, and they knew exactly who he was talking about. He was talking about Rome, Jerusalem. These guys ran the place. And they ruled through strength, and they called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And yet, it was ruled through strength, through power. And if you didn't do what they asked, You'd be put to death. We would see you'd be crucified. That's how they ran the place. And Jesus is trying to t tell the disciples, that's not my way of doing things. That's not how I want you to do things. And he says in verse 43, But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life, a ransom for many. This isn't the only time that the, the disciples were arguing back and forth on who was the greatest among them. In chapter 9, they do the same thing, and Jesus catches them. What are you guys talking about? Oh, we're just discussing who's the greatest among us. Now, love. There's certain pictures of Jesus that I... that stick out to me more, and this is one of them. It's when he pulls a child 
next to him. He says, wouldn't it become great? Here's what it looks like. It's being the least. If you want to be first, it's being last. If you want to win, here's what it looks like. It's, it's losing. Here's what he's really trying to teach. If you want to live, you have to die. That's what he's trying to get across to his disciples. And they are, they're in this, the middle of who's the greatest argument. And this is quite a countercultural uh, to, to, for us as well. We look at our society, and if you want to become great in this world, you may have to step on a few people along the way. A few people may have to be hurt along the way. And Jesus says, no, this is, this is not how I do things. And if there was one man who deserved everyone to bow down, everyone to worship along the way to Jerusalem, everyone to say, what can I do for you? It was Jesus. And yet he tells us, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That's what I came to do. And Jordan touched on this a couple weeks ago. We live in a culture where the customer is always right. Wherever we go, the customer is always right. The customer is served. Whatever you need, we'll take care of you. That's the culture we live in. We go, and I'm not talking restaurants, because we'll probably go to one today. Um, but you go to a restaurant, you're served. Everywhere we go, you're served. You're served your, your meal. You're cooked your, your meal. You don't even have to do the dishes at this restaurant. You're served. The problem is, that mentality creeps its way into the church. When we come to church, our thought is, what is the pastor going to do for me today? What are the musicians going to do for me today? What are the elders? What are the ushers? What is the person in front of me, beside me, behind me going to do for me today? What are these people going to do? That's our mindset coming in. But brothers and sisters, this is not for us. This is not about you. This is not about me. This is about him. For he alone is worthy. He alone deserves the praise that we give. Not any of us. And when we fail to realize that, we fail to see everything that Jesus came to be and came to do. We miss the point completely when it becomes about us. But by the grace of God, we receive a blessing from pastors. We receive a blessing from this music. We receive a blessing from others. Brothers and sisters, this is not about us. This is not about you, me, what we do. This is about him. For he alone is worthy. And I'm wondering, do we get that, church? Do we understand that? I know I failed to, to realize that. So many days, I just, just want to come in, have a seat, sing a few songs, good pastor, that's it. Do we get it? Do we get that Jesus himself came to serve? What does that say for us? We, too, are here to serve not be served. Does anybody get it? Yeah, one man got it. Continue reading verse 46. They, then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus 
the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And if I was a disciple, I'm thinking, all right, Jesus has just talked about serving and how important it is, how he came to serve, not to be served. I'm running to this guy, I say, I'm going to help him in any way he needs. I'll be the first one there. And yet, what did they do? What is their response? It says, many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. You can just see it in the crowd. They're saying, be quiet. Don't you see where we're going? Don't you see what we have to do? We have to get to Jerusalem. We have more important things than you, (coughs) beggar. We have to get to Jerusalem. I love what Jesus does here. Once again, if there was one man, if there was one man that day that could have said, I have too much on my plate, too much on my mind, I don't have time to stop. It was Jesus. Yet that was the only man that said, stop everything and bring him to me. Call him here. He calls him. Verse 49, so they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. I can just imagine the old sarcasm. All right, we'll stop. Here you go, come on. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The very same question that he asked James and John. And I can just imagine in this story. James and John are standing right beside Jesus in this blind man. Yes, what do you want me to do for you? And this blind man has an opportunity, has the Son of God right in front of him. He could have asked for anything in the whole world. He could have asked to sit at his right or his left of all the riches in the world. What does this blind man ask for? I just want to see. I just want to see. Many things we take for granted every single day of our lives. I just want to see. And if I'm Jesus, I'm realizing everybody around me has no clue what my message is, what I'm trying to do here. I'm realizing my disciples who have been around me for, for two years, two plus years now, have no idea what's about to happen in Jerusalem. If I'm Jesus, I'm gathering the troops. I'm gathering anybody who will follow me in any way I'm gathering them together. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm saying to this blind man, all right, I'm going to heal you, but here's what you got to do. Well, you got to kiss my hand, pledge your allegiance to me, or we're going to Jerusalem. Whatever happens to me, happens to you. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus, there's no prenuptial agreement with the bride of Christ. He says, go your way. Faith has made you. Go your way. Heals you, saves you, and says, go your way. And tell me this, what is a blind man? Where's a blind man going to go? Where's a blind man going to go? It says, immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. That word follow, we get back in chapter 8 of Mark. 
Jesus says, anyone wants to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. See a couple stages of the Christian life in the story. Read about James and John, the other disciples were greatness, and they thought greatness, that's all they thought of. They want to become great. They want to be the best. They miss the point of serving others. They miss the point of, of getting your hands to We miss that sometimes. We've, we've got to a point where, all right, we've served long enough in the church. It's time for others to take on some of the work. We've served long enough. We've done that. It's time to move on. You get this attitude of, of, of privilege, of that we're better than that. So James and John and the other disciples thought. Entitled entitlement. That's what it is. Where uh, doing the dishes, kitchen's not I might think taking out the trash, that's for somebody else. But Jesus himself said, We I didn't come to be served, but to, to serve and give my life away. We too are reminded of this, this blind man. Like each one of us are on the side of the road begging in need of God. Everyone in this room is like this man. Begging. We all have this in common that we need God. We need God. We're begging on the side of the road. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And guess what? He stops everything. For you. He says, bring him to me. Bring her to me. He heals you. He saves you. And he says, go your way. Tell me this. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are a bunch of blind men and blind women going to go? Follow him. Jesus, you alone have the words you are the way, the truth, and life. We follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And are humbled when we come into your house to worship you. For all the many blessings and all the great things you have done for us and how we do not deserve a bit of it. We thank you this morning. And Father, forgive us. We're marching to the kingdom of our own design instead of yours. And we remember to serve and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.